benefits of the kingdom. The first thing we, you and I need to know is that God has a kingdom. God has a kingdom. As simple as that sounds, as simple as you know, but let's look at it in scripture. Psalm 103 verse 19. Psalm 103, the 19th verse. The Lord has established his throne in, in heaven and his kingdom. So he has a kingdom. His kingdom. Okay? So he has a kingdom. If you read Mark chapter 4, Matthew chapter 13, these two chapters of the Bible, Jesus spoke a lot about the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is like, the kingdom of heaven is like, the kingdom of God is like, Mark chapter 4, Matthew chapter 13. So in your private time of devotion, I will encourage you to take time to read that. Jesus came into this world. Part of what he came to do was to introduce to you and I the kingdom of God. Matthew chapter 4 verse 17. Matthew chapter 4 verse 17 says, Jesus told them, repent. Okay? For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. At hand means it is near. NLT translation says it is near. Repent of your sins. For the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven is near. Okay? Now, the interesting thing about the kingdom of God, Luke chapter 17 verse 20 and 21, is that it is not visible. The kingdom of God is not tangible. In other words, you know, it's a spiritual kingdom. Okay? It's not a physical kingdom. It's not a natural kingdom. It is a spiritual kingdom. So, however, please note this. The kingdom of God is unseen. In other words, it's invisible, but it is real. Just because it is invisible does not mean it is not real. The kingdom of God is invisible, but it is real. In the book of Luke, chapter 11, verse 20, Luke 11, verse 20, you know, Jesus was casting out devils out of people. Then Jesus said, if I cast out demons with the finger of God, surely the kingdom of God has come upon you. These people were asking him, you know, waiting for the kingdom of God to manifest physically. And Jesus said, no, 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 the kingdom of God is already here. So based on this work that I'm doing, it's telling you that the kingdom of God is here. It is unseen, but it is real. The kingdom of God is real. So the kingdom of God is here. And Jesus, when he came, he told us in John chapter 10, verse 10, he said, the thief comes not except to steal, to kill, and to destroy. He said, but I have come that you may have life and have the life more abundantly. In other words, it's basically saying, I came for you to have benefits. I came for you to have benefits. So Jesus came for you and I for our lives to have more value than we had before. So when we experience the new birth, when we give our lives to Christ and we're saved, we're not saved to be enslaved again to what, you know, what, what, what is the problem for people in the world. We are saved to be enthroned, not to be enslaved. So he came for and to be a blessing to us. What are some of the benefits? Hallelujah. What are some of these benefits of the kingdom of God? Let's look at four of them quickly today. Four benefits of the kingdom of God. Now, don't get me wrong. There are a lot more benefits, okay, of the kingdom of God. But because of the brevity of our time, we're going to look at just four of them very quickly today. The first benefit I want us to look at is called peace. 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 And somebody might say, peace, how can peace be a benefit? Well, if you don't know that peace is a benefit, it's because you've not been through some challenges. Peace. Peace is not the absence of trials. Peace is not the absence of challenges. Peace, okay, is the calm assurance. I'm talking of the peace as according to the Bible, not dictionary meaning now. According to the Bible, is a calm, one of the things it means, is the calm assurance in the midst of it. Okay? So it's not the absence of challenges or hostilities. 
is a calm assurance in the midst of the challenges in the book of john chapter 14 verse 27 john chapter 14 and the 27th verse jesus said peace i live with you my peace i give to you not as the world gives i give to you he said let not your heart be troubled neither let it be afraid so he's telling you that one of the things that the peace does is that we don't get you know anxious and depressed we don't get we're not afraid okay because of the peace of jesus christ in john chapter 16 verse 33 john 16 33 jesus said these things i've spoken to you that you may have peace peace you may have peace again in the world you will have tribulation but cheer up i've overcome the world so you see this peace yes there is tribulation there are trials around us but this peace allows you and i to be calm to have an assurance in the midst of it that ultimately all things will work together for good okay to them that love god and are called according to his purpose peace now then let's let's break it down if, if you know further this peace we're talking about there are two dimensions of this peace okay the first dimension of this peace is peace with god peace with god the second dimension is the peace of god so the first dimension peace with god the second dimension peace of god so let's look at it in romans chapter 5 verse 1 romans chapter 5 verse 1 says therefore having been justified by faith we have peace with god we have peace with god through our lord jesus christ so if you are not born again if you have not experienced the new birth you have not believed on the lord jesus christ with your heart and confessed him with your mouth you can't have peace with god you can do everything you're going to do you can even get involved in some religious ceremonies but on the inside of you you will still be you will not have that assurance that only the holy spirit can give you on the inside of you that god is okay with you because you've not you know you and i can never live up to god's standard god had to come live up to the standard and when we put our faith in christ god in flesh okay then he he accounts to us credits to us the righteousness of christ that's then we can have peace with god without that according to scripture we are an enemy of god so peace with god is important so this peace with god happens at salvation immediately you get born again you are at peace with god all right but the second part doesn't happen automatically and and that is in philippians chapter 4 verse 6 to 8 or well, verse 6 and 7 philippians chapter 4 verse 6 and 7 it says be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving let your request be made known to god so this is talking about prayer now and when that request is made known okay rightfully it says the peace of god which surpasses all understanding will guard your heart so for some of us that have experienced and i know that a lot of you have experienced this also we're going through a challenge the challenge is difficult you are anxious you are fearful you know then you pray and once you pray about it you know the first manifestation of the answers to that prayer is that you have a calm assurance you have a calmness in you the circumstances have not changed you're still facing the same immigration challenges health challenges financial challenges career challenges business challenges you're still facing the same problems but all of a sudden you have a calm assurance that calm assurance is what is called the 
peace of God. Or, you know, you get involved in a transaction, a business, or a relationship. Naturally, and, you know, from based, based on everything you can see, it all looks good. But you pray about it, and suddenly you don't, you just, you don't, just don't feel right. The peace of God is trying to guard you and guide you to let you know this is not right. So peace, and peace, I must let you know, is so critical because without peace, you can't grow. I can't grow. Without peace, there's no growth. Okay? Anywhere you find uh, anxiety, fear, and all of that worrying, you can't grow. And if you are not growing spiritually, and we're going to get to that in this series, if you're not growing spiritually and I'm not growing spiritually, we're wasting a lot of time, all right? Because the day when the day comes, when the, the Bible calls it the evil day in the book of Ephesians, it says so that you may be able to stand in the evil day. When this evil day, Ephesians chapter 6 verse 13, put on the old armor of God that you may be able to stand in the evil day. So for every one of us, whether you like it or not, life at one point or the other, it might not be now, might be in the future, but at one point in life, you'll be thrown, life will throw you a curveball. What are you going to do when life serves you a lemon? What do you do? For some people, that's just basically the end of their existence. Okay? What are you going to do? So that's why we need to grow. And you need peace to grow. Let me give you the scripture. In Acts chapter 9 verse 31, Acts of Apostles chapter 9 verse 31, just to show you the connection between peace and growth. It says, and all the churches throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria, they had peace. They had peace. Peace. And they were edified. Let's look at it in the New Living Translation. Okay? The church then had peace throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria. And it became stronger. Stronger. It became stronger how? When they had peace. Peace was the foundation of their growth. So peace is very important. That's the first benefit. First benefit. And you know, this peace, the good thing is that this peace that you have in you uh, as a believer, you know, you begin to give expression to this peace in your relationships. So all around you, you begin to have peace. The Bible says, be at peace with all men as far as it is possible with you. So you just suddenly realize that you are at peace with people. When you get married, or if you are married now, you are at peace. There is no transgression that you cannot overlook. Okay? So you have peace in your marriage. You don't go to bed upset, angry. You know, you're tightened up. You've tightened up. Why? Because there's no peace. It's one of the benefits of the kingdom of God. Number two, second benefit in the kingdom of God I want to share with you, okay, is possibilities. Hmm. Possibilities. You know, one of the most interesting things I find out about the kingdom of God, about God and his kingdom is this. Wherever there is a full stop, an obstacle in the natural, we come to our, an end of solutions in the natural. We have exhausted every solution in the natural. All the experts have told us, we're sorry, there's nothing else we can do. The person is just two months away from death. Go and prepare. You know, we're sorry, there's nothing you can do. There's no solution to this problem. With God, there is always a chance of possibility. In the book of Mark chapter 10, verse 27, Mark 10, 27, the Bible makes us understand that with God, with men, this is might be impossible, but with God, all things are possible. And this is exciting, right? But, but it says with God. But look at what it says in Mark chapter 9, verse 23. It says, all things are possible to him who believes. All things are possible to the person that believes. Let's look at Matthew chapter 17, verse 20. Matthew 17, verse 20 says, Jesus said to them, because of your unbelief, for assuredly I say to you, if you have faith as the mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move. And nothing will be impossible for you. Nothing will be impossible for you. Many years ago, when this scripture really came alive in my spirit, 
I thought to myself, nothing is impossible for me in God. Nothing is impossible for me in God. And which, of course, is confirmed again in Philippians chapter 4, verse 13. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So you see that? So there is always a chance. So as a born-again Christian, you and I can never get to a point in life where according to scriptures, according to scriptures, where you and I will say, oh, there's no solution. There's always a solution. There's always possibility. God is limitless. God is unlimited. Okay? So we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. In 2011, when we're going to have the first edition of Open Heavens, and it's the biggest thing we've ever done as a church, even as at that time, and even to date. And, you know, I mean, it was a big challenge for me. It was a major step, stepping up in a, a different league entirely. There were times when I thought, God, can we do, can I really do this? Can we do this? And these were the scriptures that God kept on, you know, inspiring me by. You can do all things. Nothing shall be impossible for you. So, so possibilities are always there. Number three, protection. Protection. We're talking about benefits of the kingdom of God. Peace, possibility. Number three, protection. In the book of Luke chapter 10, verse 19. Luke chapter 10, verse 19. Jesus said, Kalamatos Kayamaloshia. Jesus said, Behold, I give you the authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. And look at what it says next. Nothing shall by any means hurt you. Nothing shall by... Let, let, let me say something to you. Don't interpret the scriptures based on your experience or experiences around you. Let the scriptures interpret your experience, not the other way around. So, first and foremost, forget about your experience for a minute when you approach scripture. The scripture stands on its own and the scripture is true. Let God be true and every man a liar. God says, nothing shall by any means hurt you. I believe that. Nothing shall by any means hurt you means everything. Scorpions, serpents, and anything the enemy can throw at you. It will not hurt you in Jesus' mighty name. For no weapon formed against you shall prosper. That's what we quote, right? But what really makes it work is the next part of the sentence. It says, And every tongue that rises up against you in judgment you shall condemn. Why? He said, This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord, and their righteousness is of me. That's what it says. So you and I, for he made him who knew no sin to become sin for us, so that you and I can become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. So when we get born again, we have this protection that no weapon formed against us shall prosper. Okay? For there is no divination or sorcery against Israel. It now must be said of Jacob and of Israel, see what the Lord has done. Numbers 23, 23. So we have protection in Christ Jesus. Okay? Colossians chapter 3, verse 1 to 3. Colossians chapter 3, verse 1 to 3. If you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, okay? Where Christ is, at the right hand of God. Verse 2, set your mind on things above, not just on the things on the earth. Pay attention to verse 3. For you died. That means we died with Christ, okay? Identification with Christ. Your life right now is now hidden with Christ in God. Your life is now hidden with Christ in God. So we are fully, fully protected. We are fully protected. So we have peace. We have possibilities. We have protection. And I love this, number four. We have fulfillment. Fulfillment. You know, a man without Christ can be financially successful, uh, can have the trappings of success, and, and, and so on and so forth. But on the inside, there is a sense of vanity. There's a sense of emptiness. There's a sense of, is this all? I had the story of a man that was a you know, multimillionaire, 
he had everything. Not only that, I mean, he had a lot of properties in the U.S. This happened in the U.S. And he was also a very, very smart man intellectually. And he was very, very anti-God. So people were even afraid to reach out to him to evangelize, to talk to him about Christ. Because he, was, he, had, he had very strong intellect. And he was very successful. So, you know, God is just amazing. So this man, eventually, eventually, the man was in his 80s. Unfortunately, he now had cancer. So while he had cancer, the hospital tried to do everything for him. You know, of course, the best doctors they could get. Unfortunately, they couldn't help him out anymore. So he had to go into a um, hospice. Hospice, you know, just for the end of life care. So while he was in the hospice, a lady that was not even fully qualified as a nurse, you know, she just, you know, serving, so she, was, she wasn't a nurse, but she was just serving there, you know, you know, just sending her on errands. So she saw the man. And so, the, you, know, and you know, when people are in such situations, they're a lot more open. So she saw the man and started talking to the man. So the man, you know, was basically one of the things the man would look forward to in the following morning is, oh, when is this lady coming? Just to be able to chat. The lady would say, oh, how are you doing well? How are you doing today? One day the lady looked at the woman and looked at him sternly and said, sir, you have everything. There's nothing you don't have. You have all these properties because the man has been telling her, you have your children, you have your grandchildren, great-grandchildren, you have everything, but there's one thing you don't have. The man thought, what? Is there one thing I still don't have? He said, yes. He said, you don't have Jesus. He said, she told him, he said, and you are about to transition. You need to be assured of this. The man said, nobody really told me about this stuff. And the minister submission to the man. You know what the man did? About a day or two later, the man said, well, if that's the case, you know, the joy was always bubbling in the man. The man had peace here. He said, I, I know it's late for me now in the game, but I still want to do something. So the man called, told them to call all of his lawyers and told them that one of his properties in a, in a very prominent place should be used for a Bible school. It's a true life story. I don't want to mention the names of the people involved. You will have just known that this is just true life story. Fulfillment. You can have everything. If you don't have Christ, it's vanity upon vanity. You can go to all the parties you will go to in the world. You know, if you're a guy, sleep with all the women you want to sleep with. If you're a lady, you know, do whatever you want to do. You can drink all the gallons of alcohol you want to drink in this world. Smoke all the weed. Sniff all the cocaine and heroin. Inject yourself with all the fentanyl in this world. You can do everything you want to do. Crack cocaine, everything. Listen to me very carefully. Without Christ on the inside, there is still going to always be that sense of emptiness. Christ says, I have come that you may have life, life, and have it more abundantly. Life is talking about the Zoe. That's, you know, it's the very life of God. And God is fulfilled. God is fulfilled. When God finished doing his project in Genesis chapter 1 verse 31, he said, he looked at it and said, this is very good. And he rested from his works. He said, this is very good. God is fulfilled. It's fulfilled. So, we, these are benefits in the kingdom. Benefits, the, I mean, I mean, my wife and I, when we started our pastor in this church, 21 years ago, a little while, 21 years ago now, there were times when there was nothing for us to eat. We were living in a basement in a place called Turnhill, north of Toronto. And there were times when we had nothing to eat. We finished in church like this. You know, the church, of course, was in the living room. Then we moved into a place nearby here in Mississauga called Iceland. We were using a room there that could had the capacity of 40 people, but it was never full. We set up the chairs, maybe only 15 people, 12 people would show up in church, and all of that. You know, 21 years ago. And we had all of that. And there were days when we would preach there, there we would go back home, okay? There was no food at home. No food at all. All right? But, you know, there was a sense of fulfillment. A sense of joy that our lives were having an impact. There's a sense of fulfillment. Not to talk of now. When God has, you know, taken us away from that situation, brought us into a new season, the sense of fulfillment is there, very strong. So, benefits in the kingdom, I just want to talk about four of them. Peace, there's possibilities, protection, okay, 
fulfillment. I have a lot of testimonies to share with you along those lines, but because of our time. And there are still more benefits in the kingdom of God. Okay? Somebody said, oh, I've been looking for a job for a long time. They told me that it's going to be hard. There is possibility in the kingdom. Possibilities are in the kingdom. Somebody said, I don't know. I'm just a little bit afraid of the future. I don't know if things are going to turn out for me. There's peace in the kingdom. You know, great peace have them whose mind is stayed upon God. There's peace. What about protection? Somebody said, oh, I'm afraid of this. They said there's a new variant now. There's the Brazilian variant. There's a British variant. You know, there's a South African variant, and of course, there's a Nigerian variant, which is a different ballgame entirely. Half virus, half spiritual. But, but you know, but you know, you, you have all of that, you know. <laughs> Those are the type of variants whereby you do the test, they, you know, they scrub your nostril and everything. They say, sorry, we can't find anything. Turns out negative. But you're having all the symptoms. Say, but having symptoms, uh, we are, I know we, but. Here, experimentally, scientifically, he says, no, you need a, somebody that can discernment or discerning of spirits to be able to see that kind of a virus. You know, Nigerian variant. You know, protection, but God protects us from all of this. Psalm 91, let's look at it. He that dwells in the secret place of the Most High God and abides under the shadow of the Almighty God. Okay? He said, I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress. My God. You see that there's a relationship there. It is a God. He said, my God. There is a relationship there. My God. In him will I trust. You can't trust in God like that. You have to trust in my God. The God that you have a relationship with. Then verse 3 now says, surely. Surely. Not probably. Not possibly. Surely. It will deliver me. Let's look at it in the NLT translation. Okay? He said, For he will rescue me from every trap and protect me from every deadly disease. This is the word of God. Okay? These are, these are, these are benefits in the kingdom. Quick question then is this. However, to partake of these benefits in the kingdom of God, you must prioritize the kingdom. You must prioritize the kingdom of God. Listen carefully. It is foolhardy. Okay? And I don't want you to be deceived. For you to see these benefits of the kingdom of God, and for you to think and say to yourself, Oh, you know, I go to church, I'm a Christian, you know, these things belong to me. Without you prioritizing the kingdom of God, you must prioritize the kingdom of God in every area of your life. Not just on Sunday morning when you wake up, you know, come go to church or do church. You know, it's every area of your life, every time of your life. Okay. In the book of Matthew chapter 6 verse 33, Matthew 6 33, Jesus Christ laid down this law of priority. He said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. But the key word there is first. First. Not just seek the kingdom. Seek first priority. Luke chapter 9, verse 60 and 61. Luke chapter 9, verse 60 and 61. But maybe we should start from verse 58. Verse 58. Uh, Jesus said to him, so somebody came to Jesus and said, Master, I will go with you wherever you're going. Jesus said, Foxes have holes, beds have, beds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man had nowhere to lay his head. Look at verse 59. Then he said to another man, Follow me. Follow me. But look at what the man said. The man said, let me first, let me first, first go and bury my father. So Jesus said, there's nothing wrong in burying your father. There's nothing wrong in doing all of that. But once the man used the word first, Jesus said, no, you don't, get your, you don't have your priorities right. Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead. You go and preach the kingdom of God. It's because the man used the word first. Priority. Priority. We must prioritize the kingdom of God in every area of our life. The question then is this. How do we prioritize the kingdom? What practical things can we do or can we show that we're prioritizing the kingdom of God? I'll make it very simple for you. Two things quickly. Job chapter 36 verse 11. Job 36 11. 
He says, if we obey and serve him, obey and serve him, obedience and service, obey and serve him. Then we will spend their days in prosperity and their years in pleasure. Not those two things, obedience and service. Today, in today's world, many people don't, no longer believe in obedience. People say things like, you know, we live under grace. When this is the season of grace, so obedience, it doesn't matter how we live our lives, God still loves me. And that is true. Do you know this? Can I say this to you? And if I say this statement to you, it might startle you. And you might think, well, I don't know if that's right. But I'd like you to check the scripture. There are many people that God loves today, but they are in hell. There are many people that God loves, loves, but they ended up in hell. So I said, but how, will you, how do you know that? Look at it. John chapter 3, verse 16. John chapter 3, verse 16. For God so loved, not the church only, the world, the world, and he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him will not perish and have everlasting life. He loves everybody, but the people that will have the everlasting life are those that believe in him. So there are, God loves everybody, but the people that believe in him, for he came to his own, his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right, the authority to become sons of God. John chapter 1 verse 11 to 12. So there are people that God loved, but they, did, they never received Christ. So they end up in hell. According to the teachings of scripture. So, oh, God loves you, but obedience is important. John chapter 14 verse 21. John 14 21. He who has my commandments and keeps it, it is he who loves me. Jesus said, 1 John chapter 5 verse 1 to 3. 1 John 5, 1 to 3. Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. So this is talking about believers now. Everyone who loves him, who begots, also loves him who is begotten of him. Keep going. By this we know that we love the children of God. And that we love, his, give me the NLT translation please. NLT translation. We know we love God's children if we love God. And obey his commandments obey his commandments obey his commandments and these commandments are not burdensome if we obey his commandments friends let me say this to you the bible says in the book of romans chapter 6 verse 1 romans chapter 6 verse 1 it says shall we say then shall we continue in sin and assume that grace will abound it says, the answers. It says, certainly not. Certainly not. Why? Verse 16. Verse 16. Do you not know that to whom you present yourselves slaves to obey, you are that person's slaves whom you obey? When I sin, to death. So if you keep on obeying the sinful impulses in your uh, flesh, it says, it leads to death. Or obedience leading to righteousness. Obedience is important. It's very important. You know, this is where, listen friends, this is where you have to be very careful. Why? Because in the Bible, the book in the Bible that really enumerates the principle of this thing called grace to a large extent is the book of Galatians. The book of Galatians was written to the churches in the region of Galatia, okay? And Paul was trying to let them know the difference to a large extent between the law that came through Moses and grace that came through Jesus, all right? So he was talking to them about the grace of God, all right? Okay? Okay? But in that same book, Paul told them in the book of Galatians 6 verse 7, it says, do not be deceived. Don't be deceived. God is not mocked. What is the implication of that? Whatsoever a man sows, that is what they will reap. Let's look at it in the Amplified. 
whatever a man sows is what they will reap don't be deceived god is not mocked he will not allow himself to be ridiculed nor treated with contempt nor allow his precepts to be scornfully set aside for whatever whatever a man sows this and only this is what he will reap verse 8 for the one who sows to his flesh his sinful capacity his worldliness his flesh his disgraceful impulses will reap the flesh ruin and destruction but the one who sows to the spirit will from the spirit reap eternal life you can see that this is scripture check it out in the amplified galatians 6 verse 7 to 8. so the whole idea what people don't understand and for you today as a young adult you might think this is hard this is tough you know but you have to start learning how to obey don't follow some of your friends that are they have no restraint on their sinful impulses on their fleshy impulses you know they want to do a party and they want to do a party and there's nothing wrong with doing a party great do a party if you want to do a party but don't do a party like a child of the devil okay don't do a party that all the party amplifies is everything that is against god okay you do a party there's no difference between a a child of satan and a child of god of course in this world you have all their claim okay you have all their claim tmz comes to interview you for your party i mean your party was on tmz you know i mean entertainment talk picks picks up your party and everybody's like you've arrived you've arrived in the kingdom of this world you've arrived in the kingdom of darkness because you have had a transaction but in the kingdom of god you are a fool you are a fool what you don't know you've done you have sown to your flesh and the bible says of that you see the bible says his worldliness and his disgraceful impulses and will of that same flesh reap ruin and destruction don't allow your future to be stolen because of your present transient pleasure if you're going to do a party you are a christian you're born again if you're going to do a party the bible says whatever you do whether you eat you drink you live or do everything to the glory of god let everything be done to the glory of god first corinthians chapter 10 verse 31 whether you eat you drink whatever you do do it to the glory of god let god be glorified somebody said, what does that mean it basically means that if jesus showed up there physically he will be proud of you if he showed up there he would be proud of you okay listen to me in christ we have liberty but the bible said we should not use our liberty to continue to run in sin don't dress up in such a way that your dressing okay speaks of promiscuity okay don't do that don't do that okay it let everything be done in moderation don't do that and expose your chest expose your back you know you, you you've you've gone bought a, you know some some dress you know and and really it's almost like you left 70 percent of the of, of the clothes you bought it's almost like you left 70 percent of it in the place you bought it because you only came back home with a flimsy part 25 percent of it that there's no there's no there's, it doesn't cover anything you know it doesn't cover up it doesn't cover down and to you you say you like it why because men are beginning to notice you you know it's, it's amazing it's fascinating men begin to notice you because when you walk i, I, I mean you're in which you, know, you move heads right you take the photographs you put it on your instagram page there are so many likes you please men but what about god where's god in all of this you've sown to the flesh your flesh enjoys it. your flesh revels in it but what about god this is not about the church it's not about the church doctrine this is about your relationship with god then you now remember a day comes ephesians chapter 6 verse 13 you know ephesians 6 13 it says take up the whole armor of god that you may be able to withstand in the evil day so the way challenges of life now come you want to call on the god you have despised how does that work that does not work that does not work 
Obedience. No, none of us is perfect. Okay, none of us is perfect. There's a big difference. Listen carefully to me. To somebody that is making an attempt, okay, it, to obey God, and somebody that is showing complete disregard, and just saying, "What? What about it? It's okay. Let me just do my thing." That's complete disregard. That's when it's dangerous. But somebody that is, you know, making an attempt, take one, two, three steps, falls down. The Bible says the righteous can fall seven times, they will rise up again. God is pleased with the man that has not yet arrived but has left. So I'm not yet arrived in perfection. You and I will not have arrived there. That's just the truth. Okay? We're still dealing with stuff. We're dealing with a lot of stuff. Okay? Yes, maybe you have dealt with all of the stuff in the out, on the outside, but you're dealing with stuff on the inside. You're dealing with anger. I'm still dealing with anger in some parts, so that someday I will still be angry. You're dealing with anger. You're dealing with this. You're dealing with jealousy. You're dealing with envy. Dealing with unforgiveness. Dealing with prayerlessness. Dealing with laziness. Dealing with all manners of things. Okay? If you're dealing with all of that, some of us are, some of you are still dealing with, you're dealing with lust. You're dealing with all manners of things. You see a 17-year-old girl, you look. 23-year-old girl, you look. 35-year-old girl, you look. 58-year-old woman, you look. 95-year-old grandmother, you still look. Because it's a spirit inside you. You have to look. You know, this is the spirit that came upon Abimelech and he saw Sarah. Sarah was almost, that means it was a grandmother, great-grandmother. And it's told in service, go and bring her. Genesis chapter 20, go and bring this woman. I mean, that's serious loss. That's another level of loss entirely. You know, that's the same loss that came upon um, um, Absalom's um, brother. Okay, that he grabbed his half-sister and raped her. That's, that's serious. Obedience. So, yes, I've not arrived. Okay, but I've left. I've left where I used to be. I'm no longer the person I used to be. Though I'm not yet the person I ought to be, but I'm no longer the person I used to be. That is what matters. Okay? And, uh, and for some of you today, everything I'm saying right now, you might think, oh, whatever. It's not, doesn't really matter. Don't worry. Just keep living. Keep living. In another five years, ten years, we'll have a conversation again. I want to challenge you. This thing is, this is scripture. This is very real. If you sow to the flesh, you will of the flesh reap corruption. Okay? If you sow to the spirit, you reap eternal life. This is just, this is just true. Then, apart from obedience, service. You know, we're talking about prioritizing the kingdom of God. Service. Your service in the kingdom. Now, many people think, and it's because of erroneous teaching, Satan has deceived many people. They assume that God is Santa Claus. God is, um, you know, Santa Claus, you know, Father Christmas. In other words, you show up there and say, Oh, my father, you know, God, have mercy on me, help me, God. You roll on the floor a few times, you know, show some sympathetic face, you know, and then God says, All right, all right, all right. And just keep dishing out things to you. God does not work that way at all. That is not a biblical view of God. Right from the Old Testament into the New Testament. Let's look at a few scriptures. Exodus chapter 8. Oh, first, let's start from Exodus chapter 4, verse 22 and 20, 23. God told Moses, you shall say to Pharaoh, this is, children of Israel were in bondage, right? You will say to Pharaoh, thus says the Lord. See what God is saying. Israel is my son, just like you and I were the children of God. Israel is my son, my firstborn. All right, verse 23. So I said to you, let my son go, which is good. Everybody wants to be delivered. Let my son go. Get out of poverty. Get out of slavery. Get out of sickness. But he said, hey, that he may serve me. I'm going to fight you, Pharaoh, and this battle is going to be my battle. God was saying, okay, if you keep my son, because I want my son to come and serve me if you refuse to let my son go I will kill your son even your firstborn God said what really activates the power of God okay in this regard is talking about service so Exodus chapter 8 verse 1 Exodus 8 verse 1 and the Lord said to Moses go to Pharaoh 
said to him, Thus says the Lord, Let my people go that they may serve me. You see that again? Exodus chapter 9, verse 1. The Lord said to Moses, Go into Pharaoh, tell him, Thus says the Lord God of the Hebrews, Let my people go. Why? That they may serve him. You see that? So remember, it was Moses confronting Pharaoh, saying all of this. So anyway, Pharaoh let them go. The people agreed, oh, Moses, we will do everything. We will serve God. Just free us from this bondage. So God freed them through Moses. So God now wanted to speak to the people himself. In Exodus 23, okay, Exodus 23, from verse 25, look at what God told them. So God said to them, you shall serve the Lord your God. That's how it started. God told them, you will serve me. You will serve the Lord your God. And what will he do? Then he will bless your bread and your water. Then he will take away sickness from the midst of you. Next verse. Then none of you shall suffer miscarriage or be barren in the land. And God said, I will fulfill. I, it's my responsibility to make sure that you fulfill the number of your days. But on what platform? You shall serve the Lord your God. I've seen people quote scriptures, these scriptures and try to claim them but without fulfilling the condition. Now, it gets a little bit stronger. In the book of Deuteronomy 28, 47. Deuteronomy 28, verse 47. God said, Because you did not serve the Lord your God with joy and gladness of heart for the abundance of everything, therefore, you shall serve your enemies. You see that? Serve your enemies how? In hunger, in thirst, in nakedness, in need of everything. And the enemy will put an iron yoke on your neck until it has destroyed you. In other words, the enemy is permitted to put anything on you since you say you will not serve God. And these are very strong words. Somebody might say, well, pastor, but this is all Old Testament, pastor. What does this have to do with the grace of God in the New Testament? I will show you what it has to do with the grace of God. Luke chapter 1 verse 74. Talking about Jesus Christ, this is a prophecy about him. To grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemy, what should we do? That we may serve him. You see that? Serve him without fear. When Paul the Apostles, in Acts chapter 27, when they were in the storm, Paul the Apostle was in the storm. Okay, they were prisoners there, you know, Gentiles, they were not believers, many, many people. And everybody thought they were going to die. So they, were, they couldn't eat for many days. It wasn't that they were fasting, but they just did not eat for two weeks, 14 days. So Paul now said one day to them, he said, I want everybody to calm down. There shall be no loss. How did he get to know that? Paul said there shall be no loss. The cargo will be lost, the ship will be lost, but there will be no loss of life. He said, why? He said, because an angel of the Lord, okay, an angel of the Lord. So he said, God sent an angel to speak to me. Okay. He said, an angel of the Lord spoke to me this night. He said, an angel of the Lord to whom I belong and whom I serve. Whom I belong and whom I serve. Angel of the Lord. I belong to him and I serve him. Acts 27 verse 23. For there stood by me this night. Acts 27, 23. An angel of God to whom I belong. That's the beginning of Christianity. We all belong to God now. But he said, and whom I serve. That's why God was able to deliver him. Look at what that goes on to the verse 24. Keep going. Saying to me, do not be afraid, Paul. You must be brought before Caesar. Indeed, God has also granted you all of these people that are in the ship. One person that is really serving God God can save members of their family because of one man or one woman that is serving God. God said, Paul did not say, the angel of God to whom I belong. That's what many people are claiming. I belong to God. I belong to God. But that's not enough. You have to belong to God and whom I serve. Whom I serve. So you belong to him is one level. You've got to raise the game. Raise your game and serve him and serve him so we have to serve you know christ came 
in Mark 10 45 he said I did, the son of man did not come to be saved but the son of man came to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many you know in today's world it's amazing the type of Christianity that is being practiced today is the Christianity of convenience the Christianity of cherry picking cherry picking things what I like is what I do Christianity of is a, is a, is a very is a disastrous kind of Christianity why do I say that because the people that laid the foundation for us in Christianity they died for it they gave their lives for it let me just give you one example in modern, 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 well, I say modern day, maybe 500, 500 years ago, there's a man called John Wycliffe. You've probably never heard of him, and that's okay. I will explain to you. John Wycliffe. John Wycliffe is the first person that actually translated the Bible to English language. John Wycliffe, his name. You can check it out. He was the first person that translated the Bible to the English language. He was an Anglican priest. But the Anglican Church, the Church of England, threw him out. Why will you translate the Bible to English? They were upset with him. So he ran from England into mainland Europe. And a friend of his in mainland Europe housed him and kept him until he finished the work of translation to, to English. Okay? Then somehow somebody betrayed him and he was captured and taken back to England given an opportunity to renounce his work denounce his work and not translate not continue john wycliffe refused guess what john wycliffe was put on the stake okay to be to be burned alive and john wycliffe said you know what i'm not going to renounce that and his last prayer using my own words now but basically meaning the same thing his last prayers was god open the eyes of the king of england for him to see that was the last those were the last words of john wycliffe he was burnt on stake and burnt and he died can you imagine being burnt alive for what you believe the conviction you have but thank god he did in the 1600s the eye, the prayer of john wycliffe was answered the king of england suddenly decided that you know because there was a lot of things that happened decided that you know what we need to have the Bible in English so he had the authorized version which is what we call the KJV so he gathered people together and authorized it for them to actually now go and translate the Bible to English which John Wycliffe have done and guess what it was John Wycliffe's translation that became the basis for the KJV version of the Bible without John Wycliffe and the work he has done we will not have this Bible in the language we have it today. This Bible you have, you have on your phone, you have it in different translations, TPT, CEV, all manners of translation, even UEV, you have your own, your own translation. <laughs> you know, you have all manners of translation of the Bible. You, 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 with convenience, it would never have happened if it had not been for people like John Wycliffe. If it had not been for people like uh, Martin Luther, second example, not Dr. Martin Luther King, Okay, that one did it, it won't work. Martin Luther, the man that, based on what he taught, they started the Lutheran church. He was a, a German. Okay? He was a Catholic priest. He was doing penance. Penance. You know, in those days, the teaching was that you have to do some hard thing to, to, be, to have piety for God to save you. In other words, you have to earn your salvation. That was what the Catholic church taught in those days. So Martin Luther was doing it. So what my little was doing was that on his knees, okay, he was climbing the steps in the church, climbing the steps upstairs on, with his knees, climbing the stairs. You imagine how painful that is. And for each time he, he would say some prayers, because this is part of dependence. There's sort of prayers, you know, trying to repent of his sins. Then suddenly, God showed him the scripture in the book of Ephesians 2, verse 8. For by grace we are saved through faith not of yourself it is a gift of god this scripture is why you and i are having church today because of what martin luther did he saw this scripture he saw that salvation is a free gift that faith in jesus christ is what brings it about that's it because as a lot of time as at that time the catholic church was making tremendous amount of money from issuing pen you know pen, 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 talking about all these penance and 
also letting people all manners of atrocities was going on. They were making a lot of money. Martin Luther stood by this. They told him to renounce it. He said the famous words, here I stand, I can do no more. He said, no, he wrote 93 pages of a thesis that he nailed to the door of the church and said, here I stand, I can do no more. He translated the Bible from Greek and Hebrew in the Old Testament, Greek in the New Testament, to German language. Martin Luther is what started what we call the Protestant church. Because the Catholic people said these people are protesting. So they call it the Protestant church. It's out of all of that that you have the Anglican church. Then the Wesley brothers came and we have the Methodist church. Then William Booth came and we have the Salvation Army. Then we have, now have eventually we have the Azusa Festival, I'm sorry, the Revival, and we have the Pentecostals, which have now become charismatics. Unfortunately, right now, have now become dedaholics, dead in church, doing nothing. Practicing the Christianity of convenience. Okay. This is a simple summary of the Christianity, just very short summary. These people paid the price, paid the price with their lives. Today, a Christian wrote, somebody wrote an email to me some years ago, you know, wrote an email to us of praise some years ago and said, um, so, 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 so I'm looking for a church. Can, can your church offer me this, 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 and listed what they're looking for? It's like you're looking for a dry cleaning service. You know, can your church list all the one? And never once said, this is what I am willing to offer the church. This is what I'm willing to offer in the kingdom. I'm willing to serve. Nothing like that. You see? Forgotten what the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 12, 18. 1 Corinthians 12, 12 18 says, says that but now God, God, God upset the members, members of the church, each one of them in the body, just as the place. It is God. Of course, your friends will invite you. You see an advert on social media or whatever you on TV. Great. But it's still God that steers you up and puts you in the assembly, in the local church. He wants you to be in. That is going to be the best fit for your future for your life where you can be value can be added to you and very importantly you can also add value to the kingdom not taking cognizance of this is the bane of christianity this is the problem we have in christianity this is the challenge that is why you see a christian their marriage is like the marriage of an unbeliever their life is like the life of an unbeliever you don't see a difference somebody a, a so-called christian is having a party, the party is as, as, as devilish, as worldly as somebody that is in the world. What's the difference? Their life is as worldly. Their dressing is as worldly. What they drink is not only water. You know, it's also as toxic as the people in the world. Everything about their lives, there's no difference. So there's no difference in their lives. There's no difference in their conduct. There's no difference in their destiny okay because there's, there's no obedience people are not serving and the greatest the biggest danger for me for me in my own opinion is for you to assume you are something that you are not you know imagine me now assuming that i have a million dollars you know in bank of montreal maybe i got to the place one day and they said um there's a lineup of millionaires that for people that have a net worth of million, million that have at least a million dollars in their account, this is the lineup. Maybe there are only two people there. On this one, they said it's a general line. Maybe there are 35 of us there. And we're here. And somebody just looked at me and said, You know what? Just join that line so that you can, you know, you've been here for one hour. And I joined the line. And here I am now. I'm on the line. I've not made any deposit in my account. But I'm just assuming that since I'm on this line now, I'm also a millionaire. You know, I see, I watch the, many, the other two people, I see the way they're behaving, the way they're relaxed. I'm also, you know, following their mannerisms, <laughs> following their behavior. You know, somebody comes around on the, on the place and says, Oh, excuse me, good afternoon. Uh, my name is, um, you know, Sarah. Um, please, would you like some biscuits? Would you like some drinks? Lemonade? What would you like? 
you know, this person says, um, I would like this and this and that. They run, they get it for him. The second person also says, they come to me also. Remember, I'm on the line. They assume that I'm also a millionaire. They come to me and say, um, would like to say, oh, <clears throat> um, um, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Can I have um, this and this and that? Uh, please make sure you put some eyes in that. Can I have also some sandwiches and making sure it's tuna sandwich, please? Be light on the mayo, you know? And they, and they come, they serve me. So here I am. <laughs> I'm eating, you know, I'm eating the same sandwich, you know? Light on mayo, praise God. Uh, you know, <laughs> I'm having fun. You know, I deposit my and I finish my transaction, I go away. You know, I'm a millionaire after all. My wife asked me at home, how did you go? I said, oh, fine, baby, you won't believe what I'm, I'm a millionaire now. Then one day, I want to go and make the withdrawal that millionaires make. <laughs> then I write a check. I get there. I said, um, please, I want to cash the check. I said, what is that? I said, um, $250,000. And the person, oh, good afternoon, sir. Nice to see you. How is the weather? You know, they, they know there's a different way to talk to you. They're greeting me in the normal way. And I'm also saying, good. And then I give them a check, and they look and say, oh, sir, I, I, I think we might have a problem, sir. I said, what's the problem? Last week, I was there at the queue of the millionaire. They offered me bread in this place. He said, um, well, sir, uh, you have only $25 left in your account. That is what is happening to many Christians. They've, they joined this queue. They've seen the mannerisms of other people that have made an input, and they followed it. Praise God. Hallelujah. So this is, hallelujah. <laughs> God is good all the time. So they learn the lingo. They learn everything. They look like it, behave like it. When there's meat and grill, they serve everybody the same thing, you know? you know? You do everything with everybody. Then when the day comes, when you need, you have a need, you need God to show up for you in the place. You go and you make a demand on the kingdom of God, your account is bankrupt. Your account is bankrupt. And you say, oh God, have mercy. You know, it's, the amazing thing is that, it's not that. If, and I'm standing there and saying, oh, please, guy, have mercy on me. I need this two fifty thousand dollars I have a transaction. I have to do it just for today, please. What do you think the bank is going to do? The manager is going to eventually come and say, I'm so sorry, Mr. Akinseke. You know, I'm so sorry. Uh, if you'd like to step aside for a minute, you know, step aside and say, you know, so, so, so sorry. There might be a problem. We'll check it account, but for now, we cannot do this. You know, sometimes people think that the mercy of God will override the principles of God. It doesn't work that way. If you are not serving now, I gave my life to Christ when I was 25 years old, going to 26, going to 26, you know, a few months short of my 26th birthday. I started serving from then on. I never imagined in my life that God would call me into ministry or do what I'm doing. But I started serving. Started serving. You know, and I can tell you today, there is a big difference between myself, my life, and some of the people that we gave our lives together or that were young adult Christians together in the same church at that time, and what they're doing today, what is their life? Not about being a pastor. Not about being a pastor. But in all the different aspects you can measure. Okay? This is a very important concept. So we've got to obey. We also have to serve. Let's look at it. John chapter 12, verse 26. Let's close on that for today because of our time. Gospel according to St. John the 12th chapter and the 26th verse. If anyone serves me, you see that New Testament again. This is Jesus speaking. If anyone serves me, let him follow me. Where I am, my servant will be also. You see that? If anyone serves me, my father will honor him. So if you're serving God, so sometimes you know we say, instead of your shame, you have double honor. You say amen. But all of this is, is dependent and to the degree of your service. Okay? To the degree of your service. So find a place where you can fit in. You know? And serve. I always tell people, I tell people, some of my children this, I say to them, if you find yourself in a new city, number one, look for a Bible-believing church. That's the first thing. Find a Bible-believing church. Number two, once you get to the church, find, ask for the leadership of the church or whoever you see that is prominent in the church, walk up to them and ask them. That's the second thing. Please, I'm new here. I would like to serve. Okay? They might tell you, oh, this and that and that. 
follow the instructions they give you. Number three, once you start serving, never stop. No matter the offenses, no matter what is happening, once you start serving, never stop. Because Ephesians chapter 6 verse 8, whatever good you make happen for them in that place, the same you will receive from the Lord. No matter who you are, once you start serving, never, never stop. So, let's summarize again today. There are benefits in the kingdom. God has a kingdom, and in his kingdom, there are benefits. Many benefits. We looked at four of them. Number one, peace. Number two, the fact that there is possibility beyond the natural. Okay? There, is so, there are solutions beyond the natural. Number three, protection. And number four, fulfillment. How do I enjoy or tap into these numerous benefits by prioritizing the kingdom of God? Making the kingdom of God your priority. Not an addendum, not a nice to have, not an addition, but a priority. What does that mean practically? Obey and serve him. If they will obey and serve him, they will spend their days in pleasure, in prosperity, and their years in pleasure. Obey and serve him. And as you do that, you will begin to see how you begin to enjoy the benefits of the kingdom of God. And people that see you, they will be amazed at the transformation in your lives in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.